This is episode two of Extraordinary Women Radio. Welcome to Extraordinary Women Radio. I am your host, Cami Gellner. Women are being called to live with voice, vitality, and vigor. Each month, join me for wisdom-filled interviews with extraordinary women living out loud and making a difference in our world. Their stories will uplift, inspire, and spark your own purpose-driven journey. I am so excited today to introduce to you Barbara T. Bauer. Barbara and I met many years ago when I was first starting my coaching business. She was in the process of starting up a boutique travel company called Silk and Stones, which took people on sustainable tours to Southeast Asia. And at the time, I had just recently returned from Tibet, so I was so fascinated about the work she was doing. But we were both busy starting our businesses, and we, we, we lost touch for a little while, and we just recently reconnected. And I found out part of the reason why we lost touch was because she was actually in Myanmar for several years. She's just returned to Denver to take over a new role as the director of the Women Investor Network for the Rockies Venture Club. This new initiative engages women in social enterprise, impact, and angel investing. It's really exciting to see the work she's doing to bring women investors to the table, and I think it will reshape the venture investment community here in Denver and beyond. What I learned when we reconnected was that this reason that she'd been, we'd lost touch for the past several years was that she spent the last three years as executive director in Myanmar for Partnership for Change, a Norwegian impact investment and international development organization. While in Myanmar, Barbara worked closely with community, state, and national Myanmar leaders to identify, plan, and implement programs and development models to improve economic opportunities, focused especially for women. Prior to this position, Barbara was a Princeton and Asia Senior Fellow working in Myanmar and Thailand on projects supporting opportunities for Myanmar refugees. So she's had a really interesting journey that she, she'll be sharing with us today and so focused on uplifting women in so many different aspects. Welcome, Barbara. I'm thrilled to have you here today. Thank you, Cami. I'm so excited to hear about some of the journeys you've been doing all around the world, but let's, let's start with Myanmar. Can you reflect a little bit on what you learned during your years working in Myanmar? How are those, just tell us the story about how you ended up there um, and what you were doing and, and what were some of those top lessons you learned there? You know, it was a wonderful opportunity to be in Myanmar at a time when the country was beginning to make policy reforms and trying to progress towards a more uh, or a, a less dictator uh, kind of repressive government. Right. And so it was a rare opportunity to be in that country. I During think, that time. Yes, exactly. It was a so huge shifting. Yes. Politics were happening, happening. Yes. And opening up to the international community. So for the first time, journalists uh, were allowed in the country and allowed to write about uh, what they were observing. That doesn't mean, of course, that all of the um, sort of repressive policies went away instantaneously. Right, they didn't. Right, right. But it it started uh, this 
more progressive and open opportunity. And I went there uh, under the um, aegis of this wonderful Norwegian organization, Partnership for Change. And when you asked me the question about what did I learn from the years working in Myanmar, you know, there are so many things I'm to sure. talk about. Sure. But, but I think probably the most fundamental thing is I think I learned there what, what anyone learns when they are working internationally. People are basically the same. Mm, nice. It's just our haircuts, the way we cook, how we dress. Those are the differences that make up our, our, our wonderful array of cultural uh, distinctions. But our basic humanity is the same. Right, right. And so, so that basic humanity, as you were meeting, I'm sure, so many interesting people and just very different, um, coming from very different places in life than where you know, you and I would have have come from. What, what were some of the things, some of the similarities that you saw that were, you know, that the same in basic humanity? Well, I, I had a wonderful opportunity to travel around Myanmar. And uh, one day I was on a short trek, a day trek, up into the hills to visit several different ethnic villages. Um, Myanmar has more than 100 different ethnic groups. Uh, many of them are only available if you actually walk up into the hills or mountains. And so I was on the way to visit a village from the Aka uh, ethnic group. And when we got to the village, everyone was out in the fields working on their farming, but there was a grandmother and her granddaughter sitting on a porch. And the, the young man who was my guide fortunately spoke the Akka dialect. And so we sat down to have a conversation with this grandmother. And if you can picture a very small woman with her teeth stained because they chew betel nut. Uh, and so we just started talking and she wanted to know it's very typical in Myanmar to be ask your age. So she wanted to know my age. Mm -hmm. And then I asked her age and how many children do you have? Do you have grandchildren? When I told her I had a son, she said, oh, that's very good. But you know, in your old age, daughters are really better. <laughs> <laughs> Those daughters will take care of you, right? Because daughters take care of you. Right, right. <laughs> And I mean, that's such a classic, you know, for uh, an older woman to talk about. I right. mean, it could have been any of us talking about our situations. So. Right, right. So her realizing that, you know, so how old was she? Uh, good question. I don't think she actually really knew. And in Myanmar, lifespans are actually much uh uh, lower than ours. Mm -hmm. I suspect she was in her 60s. Right. right. Um, okay. So but literally, we were, you know, roughly the same age. Okay. Um, her health was not as good as mine because of malnutrition, etc. Right, right. 
Well, I'm sure you have just hundreds of stories, like or probably thousands of stories yes. like that, <laughs> where you're you're meeting people who are, you know, have had such different um, different pathways, and being able to learn about their life and see what they're they're open to. Um, how do you see that applying even just, you know, so that basic humanity is the same. So when you think about that lesson today in your life, as you're back here in the States, what, how, how are you applying that? Well, I, I think because I've had the opportunity to travel so much and work in remote and developing countries, I think I, I always try to think and act as a global citizen, mm-hmm. um, you know, I certainly care and work very hard for Denver and Colorado and the United States, but I don't think any of our decisions should ever be made in isolation without considering the context of the global community. Oh, I so agree. And it's, and I think when we, when we have the opportunity to travel around the world, it, it just reshapes how, we see things um, in our own lives and our, yes. you know, it, it's, it, it's, it is such a blessing to get that type of experience because it is a global, you know, everything that we are doing is impacting other people in the world. And, it, um, and I'm, I'm a big believer that there is, there's one among yes. all of us. We are all one and yes. whatever we're bringing into the world from a, um, an energetic perspective from a um, policy perspective, all these different things. It, it's, it's that equilibrium that happens with every single choice that we're making is so important. I completely agree, Cami. And, you know, I, I, I do think that every, every policy decision we make or every small decision we make in our own sort of limited work or personal environment literally has global impacts we're we're all connected and it's a good thing Mm -hmm. Uh, when you make friends in all these different places it's so rewarding and so exciting right and you and you um worked with a lot of women while you were in Myanmar is that correct yes our focus was on young adults and women in particular and trying to help them uh become uh, business leaders or local community leaders. And so we did a lot of vocational training and a lot of business training and a lot of just uh, life skills training. Right, right. And how, how what role do you, why is it important that the role of women um, in, in helping women in a country like that when, you know, with all of that change? So why was your focus on women? You know, I, I think wherever I am, whatever I do, and, and I hope other people think the same way, women always think about their family, their community, their state, their country. Everything we do is typically in that broader context. Uh, and so focusing on women, if you invest in a girl mm-hmm. and a girl's education, her life, her family, her village all improve uh, in a way that that is measurably different than if you are investing in a a similar boy. 
of her age. Right. Women always take the broader view. Right, right. They will always figure out how to feed and educate their family and, and how to ensure that their neighbors are taken care of. So if you think about all the, it's why women are the uh, hubs of all the social networks in the world. Right, right. You know, it's really interesting because I sit on the Women's Foundation of Colorado Board of Trustees and yeah. I've been on the, um, this week we've actually been looking at the next version of our brand, um, of the Women's Foundation brand. And we were having this very same conversation that if you uplift a woman, it, it impacts her, it impacts her family, it impacts her community. So spot on. Um, the same conversation we were having in that room this week. It's, I, I entirely agree with you. And you know, Cammie, when I was in Myanmar, we were, we were focused, uh, not totally, but quite a bit on social enterprise uh, starting businesses that actually have a, an environmental or social benefit as well as being successful businesses. And a woman who was a very senior businesswoman in Myanmar said to me after I had given a talk at a gathering about why we needed to increase the, um, the number of social enterprises, and she came up and she said, Barbara, I think every woman's business is a social enterprise. Mm. She always looks at it with the broader context. And right. so she will ensure that her manufacturing business is environmentally responsible if she has the knowledge about how to do that. Right, right. So that knowledge piece is so critical and so important. Yeah, and Cami, just to bring it back a bit to our local environment, I was having a conversation yesterday with a wonderful and successful entrepreneur, a woman, and, uh, and I said to her, uh, do you think this is true, that every woman's business is a social enterprise? And she said, yes, it may not actually fit that sort of pure or technical definition of social enterprise, but women typically think about their employees with a broader context and more sort of policy and support interest than some male colleagues do. It's not to say that there aren't men who are equally right, right. socially responsible, of course, but I think it is a woman's DNA. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and I think we now know that that's our DNA. And we also know that it's a powerful thing to have that perspective. Absolutely. I believe right now that women are being called to step up as leaders, as women. Um, so for so long, we have led with a very masculine approach. And I think our world is calling for us to step up and really own those feminine qualities of caring, of nurturing, of, of that softer side of leadership. And the more we can uplift women into that kind of space, that's what shifts and changes our environments, our cultures, our worlds, our world. You're absolutely right. Um, 
I'm going to jump into one of the questions that uh, you had suggested you might ask me about because uh, several years ago, I was part of a U.S. delegation for an Asia-Pacific economic uh, meeting on women and women opportunities. And I was listening to a speaker at that meeting talk about the percentage of the assets globally that women either literally control or manage. And it really struck me that if that is true, and I'm sure it is, we have such incredible economic power that we really need to step up to the table and begin to apply that economic power such that it benefits our village, our family, our country, and the world. Yes, yes. And we do have that economic power, don't we? It's, it's, I mean, you look at how women are the, the key decision makers in so many, you know, factors from the cars we buy to the homes we buy to the products we bring into our, our homes. Women are a, a deciding factor in so much of that. Well, and I was doing some... Uh, research for a talk I gave last week at the uh, Colorado Angel Capital Summit about why it's important for uh, women to get involved in, in all stages of business, including what I'm now focused on, which is very early stage angel investing. And one of the data items that I researched in 2015 the table sort of shifted and more than, in fact, 51% of the personal wealth in the United States in 2015 is now controlled by women. And that is growing. Mm. Uh, And the number of businesses, private businesses that are started and owned by women is accelerating very rapidly. Uh, the number of women entrepreneurs has grown something like 300% in the last five to 10 years. Now, of course, it started from a much smaller number, but it really means that women are stepping into this domain of economic and business leadership in a way that is unprecedented, I think, in our history. Right, right. And so you are seeing, now you are in the process of bringing much more women investors into that investing pool. That's, right. That's what you're focused on today. Yes. And um, why do you think that's so important for, for, well, you, I know, think, you know, for the, for the investment communities? What, well, what will that do? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's important for two major reasons. One is women approach their investments, whether it's their time or their financial resources, in a very responsible and thoughtful and and contextual way. And so when women invest, they think about is this a product which is good for the world, not just is this a product that will make a return on my investment. And so we need, we know because of the research is so clear that when you get women 
at the table in major leadership and decision-making roles, the results improve. Right. Right. And There's so, some really strong statistics on that. It's, it's very strong. And so we need women to get into those conversations and discussions. And we need to do it at all levels of business, from the startup to major corporations. Colorado has a great initiative right now uh, with trying to get women on public corporate boards. Right. And of course, that starts with experience in smaller domains, either on venture advisory boards or nonprofit boards. I, I think the other reason why it's so important, when I spent time on the ground in Myanmar doing economic development, I could see directly the impact of philanthropy and charitable uh, investment as opposed to business and education investment. Mm -hmm. I, I, I don't mean we don't need philanthropy because there are certainly grave situations around the world, uh, disasters and famine and, um, and other tragic situations where we need philanthropy. But it's not a sustainable situation. Okay. And I saw in Myanmar charitable organizations come in and be active for a year or two or three and then go away. Right. And what had happened was that they, in many cases, but not all, of course, they had created a situation of dependency right. as opposed to self-sufficiency. Right. And I think that, um, you know, I do agree. The more that you can bring programs that bring training that in that um, uplift people mm -hmm. and women. Um, so that training is so critical, so important. I know that's one of the things that it's, with the Women's Foundation, we are really focused on where are the way, how are the best ways that we can take women through training that uplifts them, that gives them new skill sets that they can go out into the world and earn a good living um, so that they're, 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 move, they're pulling themselves up out of that. And that's the, the, the choices that we're making with the Women's Foundation. So it's, it's really similar from that perspective. Um, the more you can uplift people. So yes. I know that over the course of this journey that you've been on, that you've had to run into some self-doubt, some fear, some uncertainty. And you know the, that sometimes it just takes that 20 seconds of insane courage to step through those emotions, to, to take the risk, to step out on our edge of our comfort zones. Can you share a time in your career, Barbara, where you felt those same uncertainties, where, but you pushed beyond them anyway? You, you, know, you said, yes, I'm going to keep going. So tell me about a time when that, where you really felt that. Because I think it's, it's important for our audience to know that when we go on big journeys like this, things aren't always as, you know, it's just not like you just open the doors. There's, there's scary steps that we take, scary choices that we take. I think that's so true, Cammie. And when you ask a question like that, it reminds me of some of the bigger moments, but also a couple of the funnier, smaller ones. But let me start by talking about what I think is one of my bigger moments. Uh, in the late 80s, I was working for U.S. West, and uh, I had come out to participate in their advanced technologies R&D program. 
and I got a call from a headhunter about a job opportunity to do a startup in California. And it sounded intriguing, and, and, and I talked to the recruiter, and then I went out and visited this uh, organization. And, and then I, they offered me a job, and I was faced with this decision do I leave a career that has a predictable future and a great deal of stability, even though the telecom industry was going through major changes in the 80s and 90s still, relative to a startup in California, it was a much more stable situation. The startup had all those normal uncertainties that you associate, and including moving to a part of the country where I had no family, friends, etc. And I, I remember, you know, just thinking about this and thinking, well, what's the worst that can happen? You will fail, and you'll end up having to wash windows for a living, <laughs> you know, or... Right. Or, or something like that. And yes. I thought, well, if that's the worst thing that can happen, then I'll figure out how to be good at washing windows and we'll take it from there. That's right. That's right. And that's always a great way to do it, right? Is to really play it through to the end. Yeah. Where you can say, what is the worst thing? And, and chances are it's not going to be a life or death kind of thing. No. Uh, and, you know, it, it really does mean that you have to be comfortable in changing your circumstances. Right. And I think that's, that's been one of my, um, my assets. I've always felt fairly comfortable in changing my circumstances. Yes. Um, I wanted to add one other little kind of funny anecdote to this. Okay. I have traveled a lot in, uh, actually all around the world, but in many, many developing countries, and in particular in remote areas in all of the Southeast Asia countries. And in every city in Southeast Asia, I have gotten lost. Oh, yes. I, you know, literally had no idea where <laughs> it was. You know, if it's a good situation getting lost it was during the day and there were people around sometimes it was at night in the rain etc and actually southeast asia if you're going to get lost it's a good place to do it because they're typically confucian or buddhist and they're kind to strangers right right and someone has always pulled me out of getting lost and it has led me to feel pretty confident that no matter where I am, if I get lost, someone is going to come along and help me get out of being lost. Oh, that's so true. That's so true. And, and I think that's the good of humanity that you were talking about. Oh, yeah. On, right. It's like, it's people will be so kind to help. Yes. I have, I have a great story that um, I was in Chengdu, China, and um, had, um, was going to have dinner. I was on my way to Tibet. I was um, there for, and I was, I had been with a guide over the day and, and seen um, pandas and that sort of thing. And the guide said, do you want me to help you get dinner tonight? And I said, oh no, I'm fine. I'm, I'm very excited. You know, I'm going to go get dinner. And so I, he dropped me off at the hotel and then I kind of wandered down the street and I walked into a restaurant and I sat down and everybody came around me and they, they, you know, they presented me with the menu. And of course, you know, so this is my first night in 
in, in China. I open up the menu and I'm like, well, holy moly, I can't read this. Don't yeah, know. how about that? <laughs> <laughs> and um, ultimately how I was able to figure out what I wanted for dinner. I was in, in Szechuan, China, and I, and I wanted some just Szechuan chicken, which of course, you know, you can't, you can go through all of the 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 motions and, yeah. and you know trying to explain what you're wanting and finally somebody picked up their cell phone and they called somebody that knew English and they handed the phone to me <laughs> and I was able to tell them what I wanted and I got my dinner. <laughs> so. That's, that is the classic situation. Yes. Yes. And and it's always so memorable because you know, whether you're talking to the grandmother in the Aku village or to the, you know, the, the family-owned restaurant in China, someone is going to help you out. Yes, yes, that's beautiful. Thank you so much for that. So who are your personal heroes and how have they made a difference in your life? You know, this is, this is a tough question because I don't think about heroes and heroines a lot, but I do think about you know, almost every day, there's someone who comes to my mind that I respect deeply. And, you know, it starts with, uh, I had a math teacher in junior high school who was one of those incredibly gifted teachers who really encouraged my love of problem solving and critical thinking. And who never let me default to getting a hundred on a test, that was not the point. It's how you thought about the problem that was the point. Right. And if I, if I take it on further than that, I encounter so many people whose daily choices and decisions reflect a deep integrity and a thoughtful and intelligent reflection on the challenges that they face. And so many, so many times when I see personal courage. And, and so I think the world is, is so full of heroes and heroines. It, it takes a pause sometimes to really I think reflect on the challenges that people have in their daily lives and why they make their courageous choices. And then you just see a thousand points of light every day that inspire me. Right, right. And so that's what that sounds like to I me. Mean, what that's telling me is it's just being really in tune to who you're meeting, who's coming into your life on any given day. Yes. And there can be so much wisdom that can flow through people if you're just open to paying attention. I, I do think, you know, as a, as a younger person, I wasn't a very good listener mm-hmm. much of the time. Fortunately, as I've gotten older, I've learned how to do that a bit better. Yes, it's a and good skill set to have, isn't it? It is a good skill set to have. And, you know, when I, I, it doesn't mean I'm particularly perfect at it. And when I fail at some situation, it, it is almost always because I have failed to really hear mm-hmm. uh, that person or understand what, personal courage or challenge uh that they're dealing with so So it sounds that sounds pretty uh like i'm 
introspective all the time? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> We'd like to be, though, wouldn't we? We'd yeah. like to be introspective or we could really tune in all the time. But I, I appreciate that a lot. So what makes your heart sing and dance in your life today, Barbara? You know... I love every day and I get up every day pretty excited, uh, you know, probably irrationally excited about what I'm going to do every day. And right now, I've got the opportunity to meet women who have been successful in their business or professional careers and who are now trying to figure out what is the most responsible and uh, environmentally and socially responsible way in which they can invest their resources. And every single woman I meet has a wonderful story and, and comes at it with, with such a perspective. That's why I think it's so important that we get more women involved in investing. Um, it really will change Colorado's economy and then ultimately the world. Right, right. That's, that's so exciting. That's so exciting. And I love your enthusiasm about it. Um, and, you know, like you said, you're getting to meet wonderful women every single day and really helping shape that and, and, and bring that expertise of understanding how to, to do that kind of invest, investment. Because I think a lot of times women don't know that. So I think that you're doing this great service to helping women understand the power that they have, that they have at their fingertips by just making choices and, and how to, to evaluate the right, the right choices and that sort of thing. Can you tell us how um, women can get involved with the Women Investor Network of the Rockies Venture Club? Yes, uh, the, the best way would be to contact me directly. And my email is barbara at rockiesventureclub.org. Um, and if they forget that, they can go look at the Rockies Venture Club website, and the contact information is there as well. Okay. Cami, um, okay. one last little um, anecdote. Um, when, when many people, especially women, look at angel investing, they think it's this mysterious and um, exclusive club. Right. Uh, and one of the things which is so fascinating to me because all of these women have, you know, seen hurdles like this in the past as they went through their work and professional career. And it takes just a little bit of conversation with someone either like me or another experienced woman angel when they realize, oh, I get this. It's not so different from those experiences I've had throughout my career. And then they turn in to their remarkable gutsy woman selves mm. and they are outspoken and opinionated and informed and exciting. That fire that rises up yep. within us when we can make a difference. Yep. And yeah. it's fun to watch every single day. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So are there events or activities that um, yes. the women listening should know about? Yes, every month we have two, uh, two events. One is called Get to Know an Angel, and it's an informal uh, conversation uh, in a home, typically, where an experienced woman angel just shares how she got started and what she does and what guidance she would offer. 
The other event is a skill building event where we take one aspect of angel investing, due diligence, exit strategies, term sheets, and we do a two hour skill building workshop. So we help them learn what that is all about. And then we're going to have a variety of other mentoring events where experienced women angels can also work with inexperienced women angels and with women entrepreneurs. Right, right. Absolutely. That sounds fantastic. I mean, it sounds, it sounds like community. It sounds like, you know, there's teaching moments, there's, there's collaboration, there's, yep. it, it sounds fantastic. Okay. This has been fantastic. I would like to close with a final question. What three pearls of wisdom can you leave our audience today? Given all the journeys you've been on around the world, all the experiences that you've had, what would you like to share with our audience? Well, I, I love the image of a pearl. Me too. It's formed over so many years and only beautiful after all of those years. And it starts with an irritating grain of sand that must really frustrate the oyster. And the pearl after those many years sometimes is perfect and lustrous, but many times it's actually more attractive and more interesting because it has imperfections. Right. And so my three simple grains of advice would be work towards the long term. Don't worry about things that happen in the short term. Focus mm. on solving a problem that really nags at you. Mm, I love that. And don't seek or enjoy perfection appreciate the differences, the imperfections, and the progress. Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Barbara. I really appreciate it. I know our audience is going to love your stories and um, be inspired. And uh, if you are, are inspired to get involved with the Investor Network, um, please reach out to Barbara. And until next time, friends. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Uh, thank you so much, Cammy. This was such a pleasure. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. I hope you liked this episode of Extraordinary Women Radio. If you did, please share this podcast with your own special tribe of women and help spread the love, the dreams, and the inspiration. Are you thinking about making the next bold move in your life? I invite you to take the Your Next Bold Move quiz at CammyGelner.com to find out how you can jumpstart a passionate and meaningful next chapter. You may also enjoy my book, Fire Dancer, Your Spiral Journey to a Life of Passion and Purpose, which is available on Amazon. In Fire Dancer, you will become intimately connected to your heart's calling and build the courage and resiliency to ignite your what's next. I'd love to hear from you on any of my social media channels. I'm on both Facebook and Twitter, and the links are available on my website. Till next time, my friend, listen to your heart, follow your dreams, and be you.